Amen. Well, good morning again. You know, before I let the, teen, the, the teens come up here, as Ben shared, the, st- uh, the stand or stand was the title and theme for this year's teen camp. You know, and so I've titled this morning's sermon as Stand Firm, right? And even this phrase, stand firm, appears a dozen times in the New Testament. Beginning with Jesus saying in Luke 21, stand firm and you will win life. Right? While the phrase itself only appears 12 times in the New Testament, the concept appears all over it. And the point being that as you root yourself in the gospel of Jesus, it tells us that God himself, that he is faithful, that he is loyal, That he's merciful, that he's loving, and so much more. Right? But getting to a place where you can stand firm is not an easy task. Right? All of us are bombarded by the world and by Satan in his schemes to tempt us away from our secure position. To keep us away from a secure position and then even to tempt us off of that rock where we can stand firm, right? Yes. But as difficult as it is for us as adults, teens who aspire to be spiritual, to me, are even more impressive. Yeah. You know, in this fellowship, we do. We have some incredible teens who are desiring and aspiring to be spiritual people, to find a place to stand firm on the rock and to know Jesus. Which, as I've said, is no easy task. So, I mean, the social pressure alone of what's on teens to conform is just so immense. And and at this point, all of us have been teens, whether it was, you know, currently 10 years, 5 years, 30 years, 60 years. We've got a gentleman here who had an 80th birthday just recently. He and his wife have been married 59 years. Impressive. I almost fell over. Amen. What an incredible accomplishment. But I think about what it takes to live a life to stand firm in Jesus. And so as, as these, ten, this, these teens share with us what they took away from Stand 2018, it may not always relate to a theme of Stand, but I hope that we can all listen and be inspired by the incredible character it takes to be a spiritual and God-seeking teenager in 2018, in this 21st century, especially in the culture of Vermont. You know, I think also that if we listen with our hearts, with our minds, that I'm sure that we'll be able to find something for ourselves that we can take away. Conviction is conviction, especially when it comes from the Word. So at this point, I'm going to have the teens come up, and Riley's going to share first, then Candace, Ethan, uh, Ethan's going to come up and share with us, and... Last is going to be Sky, also known as Claire to some of us. So, let's go, team. Morning, church. Hi, everyone. I'm Riley, if you've been here before. I'm a junior in high school, and hopefully, some of you guys have been to team camp before, or if you haven't, that's okay. Um, but the only way I can explain it is to call it a sanctuary. But for one week, we are able to forget our lives, forget all the world has decided we are, and just to praise God. The fun and the fellowship are some of the best parts of camp. 
Maybe not the food, but we don't talk about that. Um, but overall, my favorite part is the lessons. If any of you guys know who Phil Arsenal is, you may know he's a crazy guy. But he's not just crazy, he's crazy about Jesus. So on Thursday morning, we sat down for our fourth lesson. And as Phil gets up to speak, everyone sinks into their seats. Because we know we are about to be served the straight up truth. Phil, by far, has the most intense lessons at camp, but they also inspire me the most. I truly believe that Phil could take the worldliest person I know and make them a disciple in a week, maybe less. His conviction and faith radiates from him, and I wanted to share a little bit about what he had to say to us teens. The title of his lesson was Stand Forever. He had a lot of great things to say, but there is one thing that has been repeating in my head that he said to us. He said, I don't know about you guys, but I will follow no one into hell. This one really struck home for me because it's in my nature to let the way other people think of me affect my relationship with God. In the past, I've been hesitant to become a disciple because I don't want my friends or random people in my school to think I'm weird. That's sacrificing my eternity for the opinions of people I probably won't even remember in 10 years. If you, like me, aren't baptized yet, You can probably relate to this. You might not want to get baptized because your roommates, classmates, co-workers, or friends might think of you differently. If you are a disciple, there are probably still things you may sacrifice in your relationship with God to save in your relationship with the world. Maybe you don't share your faith enough because you don't want strangers to think you're weird. But in the words of Phil, no one can dictate how you live. Because in the end, God decides our worth and not the people around us. We die once, we face judgment once, and we live one eternity. That eternity isn't chosen by the people around you. It's chosen by God and by how you live your life. To close up, I wanted to share a scripture. In Galatians 1.10, the Bible says, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Thank you. Candice. I'm a 10th grader at Vermont Common School, and this is my first year at New England Teen Camp. I loved making new friends, playing games, and worshiping God together, but my favorite and most memorable parts of camp were the lessons that we got to hear. Probably my favorite lesson from camp was the message by Collier Winters about standing in awe of God. I find that a lot of times it is easy to forget how awesome God really is. In Psalm 8-1, it says that he has set his glory above the heavens. Isn't that incredible? And the fact that the creator of the universe, who has set his glory above the heavens, gave us a book of instructions on how to spend eternal life with him is so awesome. So why is it that I take this map of life for granted? My family probably has more than ten of these in our house. And it's easy to leave them lying around, forget where some of them are, and treat them like everyday objects. In Hebrews 4.12, it says that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit. At teen camp, Collier showed us a video of a church in China where it is almost illegal to practice Christianity. They were receiving Bibles for the first time, and it was almost like watching one of those videos where a family member comes home from um, the army after years of deployment. They ran towards the box, crying and hugging the Bible, saying, this is all we needed. It really made me think of how I treat my Bible and how much awe it really deserves. It is also the most insane thing that we can be in God's presence and talk to him just by saying, 
dear God or dear Heavenly Father or even just hey God. But how much do we take that for granted too? It's definitely hard for me to sometimes take a step back and think I'm in the presence of the creator of the universe. And when I do remember to do that, I feel amazed and almost nervous about what to say next. In awe, camp really made me realize that I need to take a second to really just stand in awe of God and appreciate the fact that he, being the creator of the universe, wants a relationship with me, wants me to read the instructions he set out for me, and wants me to be able to talk to him just like a friend. Thanks for listening to my experience back here. Hello, I'm Ethan. I'm in 8th grade, I'm 13 years old, and I also went to um, New England teen camp. And so what I took away was this lesson, and we actually had a choice between three lessons on like how to make different places more godly. It was your home, your ministry, or your community. And like, I don't know, I'm going to do, I don't know if I'm going to do too much for my entire community. And then I'm pretty sure my ministry is already pretty godly. So I went to the at-home part, and this was like, I think it was like Wednesday or Thursday. It was the one day where I left my notebook in my cabin for the entire day. So this was really fun, memorizing the entire, like remembering the entire lesson all over again. Um, so they shared a scripture. It was Proverbs 23:22. It says, well, listen to your father who gave you life, and do not, do not despise your mother when she is old. And so you may think at first, oh, yeah, that's pretty easy, um, listening to your dad and not hating your mother when she's old. Uh, <laughs> but I think, my, I think uh, when I really thought about it, my dad can vouch for me here. I'm not that good at listening to him. Um, but they also said how Satan uh, will not only pull you away from God, like you know Ben said, but will also pull you away from your family. Yeah. And how easy it is to do these things that God is saying, um, like, just not to do. How easy it is to do them, like, because somebody said not to do them. And they uh, shared a video, and uh, they told us to look it up when we got home. But they also shared a clip of it. It was of this person who um, was locked in a room with a button and, a, like, a glass tank with a cat in it. And the button, if you pressed it, electrocuted the cat and killed it. And they were told for five minutes, don't press the button. Don't press the button. You're locked in this room for five minutes. If you don't press the button, by the end, you get money. And at the end, of the, they pressed the button at the last second. Didn't kill the cat. Don't worry. It wasn't hooked up. Because I don't think they can show that on live television. <laughs> but uh, they still got money because they didn't technically kill the cat. I'm like, I want to do that. Um... But it was, like, supposed to, like, tell you how easy it is to do something because somebody said not to do it. And it just hit me a lot. Also, they said some stuff that didn't really apply to me, like, wives respect your husbands. And I'm like, no, it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> that, got it. So, in conclusion, I was going to put another scripture that they shared here, but then again, remember, I forgot my notebook, so I don't, I don't remember what it was. But they talked a little bit about siblings, and I think that was a scripture about your siblings and stuff. So, yeah, in conclusion, respect your family.
that I've grown in because of teen camp. Faith and love. My faith grew because of a lesson from a guy named Daryl Owens. He talked about the factual evidence concerning the existence of the Bible. As someone who needs facts in order to have faith, this helped me immensely. Daryl stated that the Bible is better traced back than Shakespeare, is corroborated by outside sources, and is 97% authentic, the only discrepancies being linguistic and numerical. So if the Bible is valid and true, and the Bible is about God and his teachings, then God must be real. And if he is real, then I want to get to know him and having a loving relationship with my father who has created me. As for love, it was less of a specific point and rather a gradual sense of adoration for God. I guess the feeling is most similar to falling in love. That warm and comfort feeling of love and safety and just that like fluttery feeling you feel in your stomach. Not only did I realize my love for God, but also for his people. I'm so fortunate to be growing up in this church. The sense of community and family is irreplaceable and the people truly reflect God's love and grace. And lastly, One thought or epiphany I had while at camp was, I'm not special or saved because my parents are baptized. I'm special because I'm God's daughter and it's time to go home. Great job, guys. They did an amazing job. I remember uh, as a sophomore in high school, I had a public speaking class, and I had uh, my first like major project where I was speaking, and I remember presenting and holding a piece of paper, and one of the kids in the back making fun of me because I'm trying to read off my paper and it's going like this, you know, and, and I'm probably just slightly older than Ethan, uh, or, or just about maybe Candace's age. And so I think about how hard it is to get up here and speak. Guys, I, I still get nervous. I told them this earlier. So for them to get up here and speak with such poise, right, and such conviction and do such a great job, you guys are amazing. I love you guys. Great job. You know, I definitely wasn't standing firm that day as a... A 14-year-old or 15-year-old presenter. I was shaking like a leaf. You know, but when I think about going back to school as a kid, right, and how nervous and, and tossed around we are as teenagers, when you're a teenager, many of us can try to think back. Some don't have to. But we think back to it, it's so easy to get thrown around by the world. And even today, it's still can be so easy to get pushed off of a secure place and not be able to stand firm. So I want to talk a little bit about that today. If you've got a Bible, please turn over to Ephesians chapter 6. Ben introduced us 
to this passage in his communion. And we're going to read a little bit more of the, the context of where he was at because it's an incredible scripture about what it takes in standing firm and really in what God has given us. And so in Ephesians chapter 6, what, well, really in Ephesians, this letter has been written to the church in Ephesus. And the first half of the letter is a summary, really, of the gospel message. I mean, it's, it's the, the Apostle Paul is written to the Ephesian Christians and just trying to remind them of, man, this is how good the gospel is. And trying to sum it up. And then the second half of the message is really some principles and some practicals on living as a disciple of Jesus. And how to live this, this life out. And so, how this gospel should reshape our lives in every aspect. So when we approach this passage that we're about to read, I think you cannot remove the power and love of Jesus from it. You're not going to hear it talk about the love of it, but the entire first half of this letter is all about Jesus and all about His love. Alright? So you cannot remove these two from one another. But I think it's important that, that I point that out first. That we make sure that we hold to that in, the, the, in our hearts and our minds of how powerful this love is and how radically it should determine our actions. So Ephesians 6, we're going to start in verse 10. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place with your feet fitted with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace and in addition to all of this take up the shield of faith which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God and I pray and pray in the spirit on all occasions With all kinds of prayers and requests, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the saints. So when you look at this scripture, I've broken this down kind of into into three points, three short points for us this morning, right? And stand firm. Point one is you've got to see the battle, right? See the battle. One of the things that jumps, jumps out right at us is this looming mass of spiritual evil that is opposing us. Now, I don't know what you think of, but I, I think of an image kind of like this one. Have you seen this movie? If you haven't, I strongly encourage you to watch all of the Lord of the Rings movies because they're great. But this, this movie, is there's this bastion... And these guys are up on these high walls 
And they're standing firm up there and they have this immense army coming against them. Evil like they've never seen. And in one of the scenes that they show the army marching towards them from their view atop the wall and the clouds are rolling in. And it's just this thunderstorm coming in and you can see the dark mass coming to them on the ground. And I don't know about you, but when I think of the spiritual forces of evil that's going on, that's the image that comes to my mind. That we're not, we're not fighting a battle, though, of flesh and blood. We're not going to pick up literal swords and spears. We're not going to pick up guns and wear armor and get out on the battlefield for this sake. It's, it's what Jesus is talking about, what the Word is talking about. He's going, there is spiritual evil in this world. And it's coming after you. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the spiritual forces of evil in this world. If we could rid the world of these forces, there would be no more war. There would be no more poverty. There would be no crying. There would be no more shame. That's why our, our battle is against the sin. It's against Satan and his schemes. And it's not against the people. But do you see the battle? You guys with me? And in all of that, we've got to approach it from God's going, you stand on the side of love. You stand on the side of good. And they stand on the side of evil and everything that's trying to rip what is good apart. Whether it be families or relationships, friendships, anything good in this world, Satan's goal is to rip it apart. Right? So do you see the battle? You know, for the first recipients of this letter, the Ephesians, they know, they've been able to see visually the whole concept of idolatry, of spiritual forces. You know, they live at a crossroads in the Roman time period. They have temples all over the place. Right? They, they've, people come, they've got Eastern religions and Western religions coming kind of into this crossroads city, all sorts of trade coming through, and, and they're drawn in so many different directions. There's temples for pagan worship, there's prostitution worship, there's, there's Roman gods, there's all sorts going on in this city that's just outrageous. So when Paul writes to them about, hey, there's spiritual forces working against you, they know it because they've actually felt other the pushback from a lot of these other faiths as well. But it's not against the people. It's against the spiritual forces, right? You know, and when we look at it that way, you think, oh, well, spiritual idolatry, that's easy to see. You know, if there was a temple of, you know, Artemis down the street from us, we'd be able to go like, yeah, that's pagan worship. That's idolatry, right? But that's not really what we have the same way. Certainly there's temples and there's different churches all over the place. And we look at those things and maybe, maybe you think of that. But I think it's not just those things that we've got to consider today. Those aren't just the, the idols that we contend with. I think as Americans, our idolatry comes in different forms. And I think Ben did a pretty good job in making this point earlier. But our primary spiritual battle is no longer against different faiths. It's against materialism. It's against greed. It's against comfortability and apathy. Brought on by overindulging 
in this in media and vicariously living our lives through these little black mirrors that we hold in our hands and that we hang on our walls. We live through the drama of other people's lives rather than living out our own epic drama that God has written for us. We've got to see the battle, right? And know what we're fighting against. Do you see it these days? It's time for us to open our eyes and make sure we see it. That's point one. Point two, it's bear the armor, right? Bear the armor. He goes through this list of these different aspects of armor that they put on. And it's incredible. Really, I want to make this point. These are all things that God has given us to allow us to stand firm on the wall and in the battle, right? These are incredible gifts that God has given us. You know, when you look at the scripture, we're given the belt of truth, right? The belt of truth. This is the thing that holds everything else together. This is Jesus himself. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Right? We know that Jesus is the truth. That's John 14, verse 6. And he's the one that holds it all together. No one wants to go in the armor with, uh, in, in the battle with no belt because you're going to lose parts of it. It's going to be flopping around and you're going to have a hard time maneuvering. Right? But then you, you look at what else we have. He says, you've got the breastplate of righteousness. Actually, let's look at this. Right? You've got this Roman armor. This is what Paul is thinking of. This, these Roman soldiers would, were so common in this time period. Rome had brought their soldiers all across that, that part of the world. I mean, that's... I could say much to this, but this was no stranger. All Christians, anybody living in the Roman territory, would almost certainly have seen a Roman soldier in armor before. Right? And so here you have... What he's got. And he's talking about the breastplate of righteousness. Now, personally, I think that'd be pretty cool to have one of those. It just looks awesome. But, you know, when I think of what is righteousness, God tells us so often that by doing what is right, it will guard our lives. Right? So, doing what is, doing what is right, not only by God, but by other people as well. It protects us and it glorifies God. Even beyond that, you know what it does? 1 Peter 2, 12, it says, Live such good lives among the pagans that even though they slander you and persecute you, that they'd have to give glory to God. And righteousness not only protects us, it protects the faith, which is incredible. And righteousness is, talks about doing what's right by others out of a sense of love. If it's a pursuit of legalism, you're missing it. It's all about loving other people. Right? The other one I like is, is this one. So these sandals. I got a sandals. Why would anybody wear sandals into battle? I'm like, like, I'm getting my toe cut off. But what's interesting is these sandals. He, he talks about this. Paul writes, the soldier's cleats. These are cleats, is what he's wearing. That are adorning their feet. Uh, these cleats on the bottom, they have these metal studs. That are there so that they can plant their feet firmly on the ground so that when the chaos comes and is pushing against them, they've got firm footing. So what he's talking about is put these on and get good footing in Christ. Standing on the gospel of peace 
So that when the world is flying around you and things are coming at you, you've got a firm place in the peace of Jesus. Amen? You know, and, and he goes on and he talks about, I love it. He talks about the tower. He talks about the shield of faith. They use these tower shields. He talks about the helmet of salvation. And I, and I can't, I, I'm not going to go through each of these, but he talks about the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And I love Riley shared uh, he, the scripture in Hebrews. The word of God is sharper than any double-edged sword. They're thinking of what they know of as a Roman sword. Right? And these things are, are not the little play swords you may see you know, at a comic book store or in the gas, you know, those really interesting gas stops or truck stations. That's not what you're going to see. These are a real thing. They're deadly. And they got hard, but God is going, hey, I've given you the word and I've given you the spirit to fight back in spiritual battle. Right? It's, and God has just gifted us all of these things so that we can stand firm. You know, it's available to us but just, armor just doesn't pop out of your skin, right? You're not going to just uh, suddenly wake up and be armored every morning, right? No. Putting on the armor of God is an intentional thing. If you're going to bear the armor, you've got to put it on, right? You've got to walk up and you've got to make sure, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put on the breastplate of righteousness. I'm going to put on the helmet of salvation. I'm going to take up the, the shield of faith. I'm going to take the sword of the Spirit in my hand. I'm going to put the belt of righteousness on. I'm going to bring, or the belt of truth on. And make sure that Jesus is what's holding me together today. Right? It doesn't happen by accident. It's intentional. How's it going being intentional about walking out into that spiritual battle... Are you armored, ready to go, ready to stand firm? Or are you going to be standing out there dressed as a civilian, not ready for what's coming? Right? It's time to put on the armor. Let's make sure we're doing it and ready to stand firm. But of all of these things that God gives us, that's not the best one. Right? I think in many ways, what He's done is He's given us each other. My third point is stand as one. Right? In, earlier in Ephesians, Paul, Paul writes this concept of all about how Jesus has taken you divided people and he's made you one people. We're one body. For the purpose of working together in one faith, for one God, with one baptism, with one spirit. There's only one church. I mean, he, he goes through all of these things. He goes, you guys are one. And so you can't, these pieces that he's given us, he's saying, you, all, you have these pieces. But he's made an immense deal through the whole thing about how you are one people. And you can stand together. And that's why he ends this passage. He goes, guys, and keep praying for each other. Pray for all of the saints. I don't know if you think about this, but you're a saint. If, if, if you're a baptized disciple of Jesus, you are a saint. Isn't that a cool idea? I mean, nobody's going to hopefully put you on a wall and make a shrine to you and pray to you. You know, we pray to Jesus, right? 
Yeah, Larry says he won't answer. Don't pray to Larry. Call him on the phone while he's here. You know, but we look at this. We're all saints. We're called to pray for each other. We're called to stand together as one. One of the most powerful elements of the Romans was not just their armor. Yes, they were, they were vastly superior in their weaponry and in their armors to most of the people that they fought. But really what set them apart was how well they fought together as one unit. The interlocking of shields, the way they, they called to each other. I mean, they knew how to work together on the battlefield. Right? So that when the hordes ran to them, they would brace their feet together as one. They would lock their shields together as one. They would guard those that are set behind them. They would protect each other. And then they would set out their own abilities to attack against the forces coming against them. You know, and obviously we're not battling against flesh and blood. We battle through prayer and with faith and with love and with the the gifts of God. But the thing is, is that we've got to battle together to stand as one. If we want to stand firm, church, we want to stand as one. Amen. But the thing is, is I want to stand next to somebody personally who's got their armor on. I want to make sure that you've got your shield with you. Because if you're missing your shield, that attack's going to come in and get to me. Right? If I'm missing my shield, that attack is going to come in and get to you. I don't want you to get hurt. I want to defend you. I want to protect you. I want to be on the battlefield with people who are just as ready. Don't you want to? So church, I'd encourage us. Let's think about these things. Let's see the battle that's set before us. Let's, let's bear the armor. Let's pick up the shield. Let's put on the helmet. Let's draw the sword. Let's pray in the Spirit. Let's work together and stand as one for the gospel, standing on the gospel, reveling in the love and mercy of Jesus, how awesome our Father is. And as we do these things together, we're going to be able to march the kingdom of God forward. Not against the battle of flesh and blood, but spiritually pushing the kingdom into this world and bringing God's word into this place. Let's live together. Let's fight as one. Let's see the battle. Bear the armor. Stand as one. Amen, church.